The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome to Squawkbox. Here are your headlines today. China's weakness takes a bite out of Apple in extended trade, while executives caution on stalling iPhone sales, despite the tech giant beating on the top and bottom lines in the first quarter. Meta shares surge in after hours, adding more than $140 billion in market cap on a bumper set of results, with the social media firm unveiling its first ever dividend. Uh, Cost-cutting doing the trick at Amazon with the e-commerce heavyweight posting record operating income as growth at its key cloud unit AWS beats and jumps 13%. The Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey hints the market could be on the right track with its first rate cut timeline uh, after the central bank uh, votes to keep rates on hold in the first three-way split since 2008. I'm not going to speculate on how many cuts there'll be or when they will be, but I think that you know, that view that the market's taking is not one I'd object to. The Dow logs yet another record close on pace for its best week since mid-December. That's ahead of today's non-farm payrolls print. Good morning. We've got a great cast of characters today. We've even got Sri in India, actually. There's a great story out there. Um, hello, how are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Do you remember the question you asked me and viewers on Monday morning? I do. <laughs> and that was? The question was, what's more important for the markets this week? Fed, yes. monetary policy, yes. or tech earnings? Yes, and that's fascinating you remember that, because I, I didn't think you would, because I just thought, I'll come back at you now. What do you think the answer was? No, we've had both, actually. Yeah. I think it's been really surprising. We had so much out of the Fed, and I think that's changed expectations on the time frame. Yeah. And the tech numbers have been so mixed yeah. this week. I see, I, I, I'm going to slightly disagree with you. I think tech was more important. I think the central bankers were did what they've done for the last couple of months and stuck to their guns. I think the market didn't even have that big a hissy fit, a little bit in the, in the States, but it came back again. Yeah. But I think I think tech was more important this week in many okay. ways, especially with, and I think that growing up dividend story over at Meta, I think is fascinating as well. Can I disagree? Because I think the numbers yes. were mixed in tech. Yeah. I think well, as I think we started, mixed. as I we started they were out. Good. I said they were, but I'm very, well, I thought it was more influential than what the, the uh, central bank was doing. I think doing. if we just went with the first day, it would have looked like tech was more important because I think you had a bit of a fade on some of the hype. You didn't really get the results to match the hype mm. but I think the results since then have been somewhat mixed and you know Apple of course and after hours as yeah. well yeah no no I look all of the above I think we're, we're splitting hairs of course and that's are. our job to do yeah. to split hairs because they were both stunningly important stories mm. for the week um, let's fill in some gaps Apple beat top and bottom line expectations for its fiscal third quarter returning to revenue growth after a full year of declining sales now revenue in China fell more than expected though as the iPhone maker faced competition from domestic players and broader economic weakness. Now that alongside guidance signaling weak iPhone sales in the current quarter sent shares a little bit lower, 3% in after hours. Now, this is the other story we were referring to. Meta shares surged. Look at that, 15% high. We're not talking about some penny stock here. We're talking about one of the most highly traded liquid stocks on the planet. It surged 15% in extended trade after delivering its first ever divvy. 
and a $50 billion worth of additional share buybacks. Uh, net income more than tripled on the year, whilst revenue grew at its fastest pace since mid-2021. Mr Zuckerberg, the CEO, said the company is continuing to focus on efficiency. Obviously, we're in a place now where you know, the business is performing well. And I think the, the obvious question would be, okay, well, given that, should we just, you know, should we invest a lot more in things? And the, the, the biggest thing that's holding me back from doing that is that at this point, I feel like I've really come around to thinking that we operate better as a leaner company. Amazon comfortably topped fourth quarter earnings expectations as new generative AI features spurred growth and as the company continued its efforts to cut costs. It reported record sales for the period, while Amazon Web Services revenue rose in line with expectations. Shares moved higher in extended trade. The CEO and Andy Jassy said AI technology can deliver billions of dollars in revenue upside. Gen AI is and will continue to be an area of pervasive focus and investment across Amazon, primarily because there are few initiatives, if any, that give us the chance to reinvent so many of our customer experiences and processes and we believe it will ultimately drive tens of billions of dollars of revenue for Amazon over the next several years. And let's circle back to Apple first up with Arjun. I thought it was fascinating. The iPhone sales, decent services, revenue that was stunning. China was the main issue for a lot of investors. I thought that was also interesting because we saw at the start of the year that Apple became the largest smartphone vendor in China by shipments for the first time. So it felt like we got very mixed messages around the China story. Yeah, I think uh, there's two bits with the shipments part that could be because of a larger purchasing of some of those cheaper iPhones and perhaps uh, the more premium iPhones, the more expensive ones weren't the ones uh, that were selling as well. Uh, and one of the reasons for that perhaps is uh, what we saw last year, a resurgent Huawei. Uh, the company uh, and its suppliers in China managed to make a big breakthrough on the chip side, which US sanctions were specifically uh, supposed to stop. It came out with a brand new device, which has sold very, very well and thrust it back into the top five smartphone players in China, which is a big turnaround from the fact that its uh, smartphone business was effectively crushed by a lot of those US sanctions in 2019 uh, and 2020 and that's clearly created some headwinds uh, for China and just one of the telling signs was that Apple was offering discounts on its own website in China uh, just a few days ago something it very rarely does as well Uh, it's an indication of the kind of challenges I think and the headwinds it faces in China so clearly that was a a bit of a weak spot as you mentioned their iPhones big surprise Uh, the market was affecting uh, effectively thinking there wouldn't be much growth in this segment Uh, it managed to eke out around six percent growth in revenue but I think what put a damper on that was really the guidance the March quarter iPhone sales the company saying will be similar to last year they did caveat that by saying after taking out $5 billion worth of sales because of a normalization of supply chains, etc. But I think also, whilst there was a surprise on the iPhone to the upside, I think the concern is going forward, can they continue momentum with the iPhone 15? There were a few mishaps across the, the various operations over the year. In wearables, we saw it with the watch, for instance, the problems that it had with Massimo, also on the iPad. This has been an area where you've seen a fade 
in demand in recent years and last year was the first year since 2010 where they haven't released new hardware on the iPad side. So it wasn't exactly smooth selling in some of the other divisions. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the, the other hardware parts are clearly uh, under a little bit of pressure. iPad, as you mentioned, down 25% a year on year in the December quarter as well. They didn't release a new model. Uh, Mac saw just 1% growth. What wasn't huge, though it is a turnaround from some of the big drops we saw uh, last year as well. But I think ultimately... Um, what Apple was trying to say was that, look, yes, some of the other hardware categories weren't so great, but the iPhone, we've got a $2.2 billion in store base. We can continue to sell them all of our services, and the services division continues to see pretty strong growth, given its size. It was a, around a $23 billion business in, in the December quarter. It's huge. Uh, and so that's the, the story Apple's trying to continue to tell here. And let's uh, broaden out the conversation, Arjun. Thank you very much for setting the scene. Uh, Francisco Bida joins us now, the Senior Portfolio Manager, FM Integrated Alpha. Thank you so much for joining us today. Can I ask you first up about uh, some of the takeaway messages for you, the numbers on the iPhone, the fact we've got a, a new device coming to market uh, than the Vision Pro. Just set out the scene for us in terms of how you're viewing Apple at this point. Well, the report came pretty much for expectations. Um, I personally wanted to hear a little bit more about the new product, the Vision Pro, and uh, a, a more uh, detailed AI strategy. But I think the future um, is on their side. Apple is really good about not being exactly first. Um, well, you know, with with uh, iPhone phones, um, MP3 players as they had them before, and so on, and then taking the lead once everybody else is in front. So um, I think they're going to do the same thing with AI. And it's going to be pretty immersive and very personal, too, because they protect uh, people's information. So it's going to be um, they have a lot of growth opportunity ahead of them. Yeah, a fascinating company as ever as well. But and you talk about second mover advantage. Absolutely. They never feel the need to be the first to market on anything particularly, but they do come up with a fantastic product eventually. Um, let's talk about China. Is it a problem or not? They, they, they hit back and say, look, our install base hit a new all-time record high in China. But may I compare the battle they're having with the likes of Huawei and others in China to the battle that Tesla's having with BYD as well? How much is brand becoming diminished compared to the local competitors? Well, I think it's just a matter of having um, a real reason to buy, you know, um, a new phone or to upgrade your phone in China. Um, They're obviously looking for phones that maybe fold or do other things or um, new technology and so on. So the competition is very, uh, very stiff over there. So they got to come up with new products. And that's what they have in the pipeline. And the AI is not just a fact. I think it's going to help them a great deal. If they can have one of those M3 chips, their new chips, compute AI, maybe at a personal level, so you can have your own large language model for your large language model for yourself with your own information that helps you, that knows you, and nobody else knows it, that's a great thing. So I'm just speculating on that part, but it shows the possibilities what they can do with that install base in China. So it's a temporary thing. They just don't have the right catalyst or the right products to address that market right now, but they may have it next year. Uh, Francisco, it's Arjun. I just want to—you've been mentioning AI for Apple. Um, what what is Apple's AI strategy? I, I wasn't quite clear uh, from the call and from what Apple <laughs> have been saying pretty recently uh, about where they feel this technology is going to going to help their products. Well, that's two of us. I, I didn't hear anything really that 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 detail about it. But uh, if you put the pieces together and if you put the Vision Pro, that that will not necessarily be using uh, large language models in the sense that we, uh, you know, interact with chatbots, the sense that we're used to looking at them, but it can use other kinds of AI. 
uh, for example, a pattern recognition and be able to identify an object or an intersection on the street and know where you're at and things like that. So uh, if that can talk to your phone and your phone knows you and, you know, th there's a lot of opportunity for that ecosystem to take off with AI. So just because we don't see it now doesn't mean that they don't have the opportunities. They're there. And you mentioned the, the Vision Pro as well, Francisco. This is a, a product that clearly is not going to ship in, in any large uh, kind of quantity. When do you expect it to, to really move the needle for Apple? Probably 2025. And at that point, I, I, I would hope to see that they actually have at least two different models, a higher end one with a lot of bells and whistles and a more affordable one, um, you know, uh, to be able to reach the masses. And if they can do that, then they're really well on the way. And that's not, not too far ahead into the future. 2025 is right around the corner. <laughs> Can I ask you about the CapEx program, uh, given the AI cycle at this stage, because we've been looking at this through the lens of a number of other big tech companies as well, some having to spend up in this cycle trying to further their, their AI intentions. Oh, An analyst asked Apple yesterday, as they're preparing to roll out expensive new AI technology, even as, as CapEx numbers were lower, the CFO responded saying, "Never, we never underinvest in the business. But is it possible for Apple not to spend at this point, if they want to further their AI ambitions? No, I, th I think it's a good idea for them to keep spending. Uh, in the last quarter, they reported about $3 billion in, in R&D investment. So you got to wonder where that went. So they don't have to repeat it every quarter. Uh, but the fact is that they, they have their eye on the ball and they're really invested significantly. You know, and, as I said earlier, too, then they don't necessarily need to be the ones up front. Uh, they just needed to be able to coordinate as, as they usually do the hardware, whether software, or the end services. They had to be able to go through that cycle. And I think they're well positioned to do that, and they don't need to show much at this point. It's a pull to fort. And I think this is what that latest report does. Francisco, look, um, we haven't prepared this with you, so I don't know what the answer is, but um, we're, we're having a big think about the Magnificent Seven, as everyone is, and comparing it to a broader, much cheaper S&P 500 as well. And what kind of indicator the performance of the Magnificent Seven is for the rest of the S&P. A lot of questions in there as well. I just wonder what your thoughts were. Very generic question, sir. Well, I think the Magnific Magnificent Seven, uh, I have high hopes for six of them. Uh, <laughs> the laggard is Tesla, of course, and a great company. I just think that they, uh, they overshot in terms of setting expectations. And when they couldn't deliver, then the numbers fell. So, uh, but, but regardless, I think, uh, you know, that the other six are really in, in good position. I think they are, they deserve the place in the S&P that they are right now. They're jargonauts and they're going to continue down that route. And if you think, or if someone thinks that uh, somehow that, you know, that their good times are over and the happy path is gone, I, I disagree with that. I think there's a lot more ahead in the future than what we've seen um, today. Uh, the AI, as I keep um, repeating myself, uh, but it's not a fad. This is for real. This is going to lead to large gains in productivity across the board, across industries. You know, anything from health care to real estate, engineering, any, any, pretty much any field will be touched by this. And uh, we have yet to begin seeing the uh, the impact. Um, I know we put up your disclosures and yes, in the mutual fund you hold, Apple. Um, just on the others, I probably should get disclosures from you, Francisco. Do you own the rest of the Magnificent Seven, including or just apart from Tesla? That's right. I own all the other six. 
Okay, that's lovely. Really nice to see you today, sir. Really enjoyed our interview. Thank you very Thanks much for indeed for me. speaking to us. Yeah, good to see you, sir. Have a lovely weekend. Uh, Francisco Bido, who is Senior Portfolio Manager, FM Integrated Alpha. Uh, Arabile, how are you? Good, thank you, Steve. Well, coming up on the show, India presenting its final budget before parliamentary elections this year. We'll dive into the details live in New Delhi. That's coming up next. Plus, the Bank of England holds fire, but hence the market could be getting it right on future rate cuts. We'll play you some of Steve's interview with the governor, Andrew Bailey. And Kaisha Bank next interest uh, income misses forecasts while the company launches a new share buyback program. The CEO, Gonzalo Gordazar, joins us for an exclusive interview that's happening at 8.15 CET. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. We saw a bounce back for major stock stateside yesterday on the back of uh, what had been a red session a day earlier. Markets picking up on some of the tech earnings you can see for the Dow. It was the fifth positive session in six over the course of the week. Now rallying about 1% and a fresh record close, 38,519. Across the board, though, to the, the tech reaction on the S&P and also on the Nasdaq, 1.3% pop for the Nasdaq. So certainly a stronger response in terms of stocks to the upside. It was Microsoft for the S&P 500 and Amazon for the Nasdaq. I want to take you to well, what we're seeing elsewhere, though, across on Treasury markets. It's been a very strong week for the Fed, and as we count down to non-fund payrolls later on today as well, the market will be taking note of just what they see in the labour market. 3.88, so we've peeled a long way off that 4% handle, uh, thanks to some of the expectations out there around the easing cycle. 4.21 on the two-year. To uh, the regional banks, and this has been interesting, on the back of the Fed this week, there were concerns as to whether the Fed could be on course to break something again. And, of course, the regional banks, we got past that episode last year. But then this week, uh, investors really focusing on the exposure to the commercial real estate market. And this through the New York Community Bank Corp uh, share price. And you can see that stock down 11% again in session yesterday, taking other rivals with it. Uh, the company disclosed troubles in that commercial property book and uh, had put millions away for future potential losses. It uh, also impacted uh, the wider index of regional banks that was in reverse but it stretched to internationally those concerns we saw in switzerland yesterday julius bear taking a, a 700 million dollar provision and also across to the asian markets where you saw a azura bank falling in trade on thursday down 20 percent in trade yesterday uh, reversal today this is uh, the company said it had losses uh, likely linked to the u.s office loan portfolio market uh, leading to a net loss for the year in march so again three big companies Three different jurisdictions having impact on markets. And let me take you to Asia and how it's travelling today on the back of that green from Wall Street. Uh, the early cues as we take stock of the region today. 
The Nifty 50, I can tell you, has been trading at uh, a fresh record. There's some appetite for Indian stocks today and uh, across on uh, the Asian markets as a result of that green. You can see 1.7, 1.8 up on Nifty 50, four tens up on the Japanese stock market. And uh, we're now showing you some other boards, uh, including the big retailers uh, stateside. Uh, so uh, let's uh, move on from the uh, markets. And you can see it is a bit patchy across on the China market, down 2%. Steve. I've got two stories for you. One, we're going to get to India. The other is um, the results are in for the best dressed gentleman on CNBC International. Right, I'll come to the right. latter in a few moments. Is it Arabile? Is it Arjun? I'll, I'll tell you in a few moments' time. The, the viewers, I've got the whole list. Uh, India has pledged to continue spending on infrastructure, but at a much slower pace. In the last budget before the world's largest democracy goes to the polls, the Prime Minister Narendra Modi's government pledged higher public spending, which is expected to keep growth at around 7% whilst narrowing its fiscal deficit. So the, the list is in. Yes. So in, in the top 10, I came 11th. 11? Yeah, yeah. That's a I long did way done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's only 10 on air. Uh, second equal was those two gentlemen you mentioned, Arabile and Arjun, yes. uh, you know, bringing up the younger constituency as well. Do you know who came in number one? Any hmm? ideas? Uh, Mm, who else is on board? Yes. Best dressed gentleman, anchor, reporter, correspondent on CNBC International is Sri Jagaraja. Look at have you look at him. I mean, have you ever seen if ever there was a shot which A looked beautiful behind and looked great in focus in the middle of the shot. It's you, Shree. You look and fantastic. And we're not treating mate. him to the, the, the full, uh, what we had off camera. The, the well, I know. That's up to him. If he wants to piece. show his full repertoire, we'll leave it to Mr. Jagaraja. But you look great. Yeah, yeah. go on, do yeah, it. Yeah, let's do it. Maybe coming up later. Maybe I'll treat you. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> more you importantly, much, tell uh, us about I the budget. Up pretty well. I scroll up pretty well when I have to. Absolutely, <laughs> let's do that. So India's uh, finance minister, Nirmala Sitharaman, walking a very tight rope, a, a fiscal tightrope heading into this interim budget and uh, opting for fiscal prudence and fiscal consolidation. The stakes were quite high here running into the election, which is expected to be called in the second quarter sometime in May. And the narrative was really about this interim budget uh, being an election budget, being full full of uh, populist handouts and uh, goodies for uh, four constituent areas, including lower-income Indians, farmers, uh, women and uh, the youth. But it was not to be. They really stuck to the script. They really stuck to the script of fiscal consolidation. And let me just uh, throw some numbers at you here for uh, fiscal 24 and fiscal 25. The fiscal deficit target that was released was 5.8% and 5.1% respectively. Heading into this, the expectation was for 5.9 and 5.3% respectively. So that really is a nod to uh, fiscal restraint. However, uh, the finance minister, Sitharaman, did in her speech yesterday make it very clear that the government's programme to really promote inclusivity and sustainability that's aimed at uh, uh, the lower socio-income groups in India is going to continue. She put a lot of emphasis on a continuation of the free food programme that's going to be extended for another five years and affordable housing. Now, as far as the fiscal consolidation picture is concerned, I talked to the chief economic advisor for the government of India, as a gentleman called Vianantha Nageswaran, earlier on this morning, and I asked him, what do you think the ratings agencies would say to this? This is what he had to India say. India actually has been deserving an upgrade for quite some time, given the fact that our public debt to GDP ratio did not spiral out of control as it happened for many other nations post-COVID, and the kind of fiscal consolidation path we have stuck to since then. So we did adopt counter-cyclical fiscal policy. 
during the COVID times, but it was targeted, efficient and measured. And since the recovery started, we have been slowly pulling back on the stimulus, letting the natural uh, uh, economic drivers to take the economy forward. So in that sense, we have been following prudent counter-cyclical fiscal policy, and that needs to be taken on board by the credit rating agencies. Clearly, India and the economy has momentum to it. Where then would you put nominal GDP targets for 24 and 25? Well, we have uh, the budget has assumed 10.5% uh, as the nominal GDP growth, which is, I think, a prudent one. Uh, you could slice it into six and a half and four roughly speaking or you could slice it into seven and slightly lower uh, deflator but i think the in general where we anticipate the nominal gdp growth need not be the same number that the budget adopts in fact last two years the budget has been adopting slightly more conservative numbers i think the 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 expectation is that a real gdp growth could be somewhere between six and a half and seven percent for fy25 and if you assume that the overall deflator will be about four percent you are looking at something like 11, 11.2% of nominal GDP growth. So the big question is really how the ratings agencies are going to respond to this. Uh, and they will probably uh, respond to it at around uh, July. That is when the final budget will be released. And then we've got the elections to get through uh, before that. And that is in the second quarter, sometime in uh, May. But in the here and now, uh, the Indian government I get a sense there is some frustration and there is impatience that they are doing all the right things in terms of fiscal consolidation, but they are not being rewarded for it yet. Perhaps uh, that time will come uh, in the run-up to uh, July or possibly uh, thereafter once we get uh, more clarity and more flesh on the bones of the medium-term uh, fiscal consolidation plan and the broader spending plans for uh, the year or so uh, ahead after the election, after the government. and. The Modi administration is running quite high in the opinion polls, is in all likelihood going to be uh, re-elected. So that's going to be uh, another uh, issue that uh, we're going to have to watch and what sort of uh, electioneering is going to come with uh, the elections which are expected, the national elections expected in May. But in the here and now, uh, like I said, there is some real momentum to the India story, rising India, the productivity gains, the youthful uh, demographic, the young population as well. And there's also uh, the benefits accruing from the China plus one uh, strategy that India is uh, enjoying at the moment. And uh, this budget also talked about production linked incentives to make investing in India even more appealing, uh, Steve. Sri, I was going to pick up on this point. Uh, I thought it was really interesting. Some of the reporting suggesting that the opposition parties will try and attack Modi on his economic record, in particular the creation of new jobs for, for, for new entrants to the workforce. I thought it was fascinating because what, everything we've heard is that India is firing on all cylinders, that it is really picking up around this global supply chain story. Do you think opposition parties will be able to land any blows on the economic record for Modi? I do think that it will be a tough task. I do think that uh, the Modi economic record and their track record uh, over the past 10 years, and remember Modi was elected uh, for, uh, in uh, 2014, he served two terms. And if he wins this election, it will be a, a record three terms that he will be serving. And there are, it's not all hunky-dory out there. And I think one of the biggest risks uh, really is uh, the debt, debt serviceability, because interest rates have peaked, but they're likely to stay uh, at these levels for quite some time. Uh, inflation 
is always going to be an issue. Uh, Climate-related risks, whether it's El Nino, what that does to food prices domestically, that's a risk. The supply-side factors and the external uh, issues with regard to how that's going to impact negatively revenue growth, that is a big risk uh, moving forward. But in the here and now, uh, Modi's record looks uh, unassailable, especially when you consider what he's been doing with inclusivity and sustainability and uh, really uh, narrowing uh, the income gap in uh, India, which has really been uh, one of his uh, central mandates. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with me, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.